Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I am honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode 49 of season three of This Osteopathic Life. It's hard to believe we're on the eve of the 50th solo episode in a season. Continue to expand on that volume in a most delightful and adventurous way. This is day 22 of the daily podcast adventure in its 1122. My favorite number is coming up in all different ways here. And we are making our way through the arc of the concepts around the saboteurs as originated in the positive intelligence community, book, resources. You can find information about that in the show notes. And I encourage you to explore, to investigate the saboteurs with which you resonate. Take the self-assessment and see what comes up for you. As we've talked about, as we moved through these different explorations and dialogues, it's important to note that we are not any of these things, that we can experience or have the sense of a certain saboteur or way of being, a way of showing up, recognizing that it's a thought pattern, it's a process, it's a behavior that we have, exhibit, but we are ourselves fully in each and every space. Now, we have talked through kind of a dichotomy experience over the last six episodes, and we're making our way around the group of nine, and then we'll have a 10th episode wrap up and reflection on all of these. And as we've come through, they really have presented themselves. And what I've noticed in this experience, in the work of participating in the program, going through the coach training, meeting with my pod each and every week, which is a fabulous experience. Anytime you can have that consistency and accountability of like-minded individuals, but who also bring a unique perspective. Looking at the saboteurs, we each have different ones that rank higher on our list of natural tendencies. So we can offer a different perspective. We can bring a challenge to the group. We can hear an idea and give feedback in a meaningful way. And the more we can create communities like that, the more we will continue to expand conversation and understanding and build connection. And I encourage you to investigate places that's available for you. Now, as we move through today, we're coming to one that really does come up for a lot of us, just like we saw with the act of control and controlling and behaving in the way of a controller could come up for a lot of us. Today, we're talking about restless. And particularly in the modern world, particularly in the age of social media, there is a lot of restlessness about. And so we could say, I'm a restless person. I experience restlessness. There's different dialogues we can take on. But just say that word for a moment. Again, whenever we're able to pause, to close our eyes and to reflect, to see how this feels for us. What does restless feel like in your body? I imagine it might be fast moving. For me, it's kind of chest toward neck. It can make me feel a little bit short of breath. It can definitely feel frantic that there has to be this looking about, finding the 
better response, better answer, better opportunity all over. It's fast. It's a brighter color, but almost gets a little grayed out with blurriness because of that fast moving pace. There's some friction to it. There's some texture and you know it can feel unsustainable, that breathlessness association with it. Now thinking about restless and the way it comes up, we might get the sense, right, that it's unsettled, unsatisfied, always looking for the next thing. And that could be challenging. It could mean we don't ever get to enjoy what it is we're doing and where it is we are in that moment. I think about sometimes in the transitions with my children that there can be this sense of, what now? Right? And we're barely either getting started or definitely in the middle of, certainly not toward the finish line of our current activity. And oftentimes my inclination is to say, come on, like just enjoy what we're doing. And just noticing that, noticing the requirement or the expectation to be fully present in the moment, that can be helpful. There can be an invitation, but just seeing right, what my reaction is in that space and if that's helpful or not. Or could that restlessness on the surface be a sense of enjoyment and enthusiasm. This is so much fun and I can't wait to see what else there is. I can specifically remember just as I say those words at Christmas, I would say I was eight, eight ish in that realm. And we would have our own Christmas with my mom and dad and siblings. And then my aunt and uncle would come over a little later that morning or early in the afternoon and bring presents and we would celebrate together. And I remember one particular Christmas, we'd open presents and it was you know, outlandish. Everyone got amazing presents and it was joyful and exciting. And I remember as we were putting away, you know, throwing away the wrapping paper, like, wow, that was so amazing. I can't wait to see what on Helen and Uncle Joe bring. And I remember being admonished to say, come on, like we just got all these presents and you want more? And I can remember very specifically in that moment, very much not feeling like more, 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 more. But it was purely out of the excitement in that moment in almost some disbelief because it was a very generous Christmas. All the things on the list showed up under the tree. And there was a sense of, wow, like I can't even imagine there could be more when it was already so amazing. And that really was a sentiment. And perhaps it came out in a different way of, wow, right, that's over and bring me more. But it was really, that was amazing, right? And if that can exist already, like how can there even be more? And what might more even be like? in a truly curious and grateful way. I didn't need any more. I didn't even want any more. It was the disbelief of that moment. And we can talk about as we're heading into this season, that magic right, that comes around the holidays and not necessarily for everyone in every moment, but I can remember that one as clear as if it was just happening right now. And I remember feeling a lot of shame and guilt for having said anything and for not being grateful enough for what I was given. And I recognized that was me creating a different dialogue. I can see that now. And I absolutely can own the reframe. And we might say the return to the original frame of absolute gratitude and excitement and disbelief and amazement and wonder and not greed or needing or wanting. And so just seeing that when we think about restless, right? if sometimes it really is, out of the joy and the love and the appreciation for something and just thinking, wow, right? if that is possible, look at all that is. And absolutely, that can bring us fully into the present moment or it can bring us out 
of the moment, looking toward something. But I see some distinction in there where we can be looking toward something, not so that it brings us satisfaction or we need it or more, 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 but simply, wow, right? There's something else to appreciate here. There is even more available to me than I ever thought possible. And what is this inviting me to? And how can it actually allow me to appreciate what is in a different way? And as with each of these, there can absolutely be gifts in it. The capacity to see the beauty and the wonder and to look for the positive and the opportunity in everything. That's amazing. And when taken, I could say too far or to an extreme or not tempered with any rest in the present moment, it could, because it's restlessness, to be without rest. That's what we're looking at. We'll specifically pull up the definitions, but right now we're more just experiencing it as it is, as restless might allow us to do, to not let us be, and to be exhausting, and to put a lot of pressure and high expectations on external situations and circumstances. So just noticing that. And so here are the definitions, and like we just alluded to, lacking or denying rest. And thinking about that and going back to Dr. Funke's episode on sleep and the importance of sleep, and we could look at sleep and rest and how they're the same and how they're different, but noticing what happens if we lack or deny ourselves rest, and it offers the concept of uneasy. And thinking about that, have you had a time when you were trying to go to sleep And you were restless. Your body wasn't able to rest. Your mind wasn't able to rest. Your spirit wasn't able to rest. And what that was like, what the impact was, what the next day was like, what that whole night was like when minutes tick by and they seem like they're taking forever. Or the minutes fly by and no rest ever transpired. So to be without rest and what is the charge of that? Now, there are times when we put a badge of honor on that capacity. We talked about that in the Achiever episode. It's like, wow, you need minimal rest and just power through and look at all you can get done. And you have more hours in the day than the average person. And I have identified with that previously. And I'm working on it, work in progress, right? And extending the grace as was so beautifully illustrated by Dr. Funky in her episode. And seeing how rest can be a gift and how we can welcome it in. Definition of restless, continuously moving, unquiet. And both of those are quite interesting to me. I don't resonate necessarily with the unquiet as far as noise production. I actually feel like I have some noise sensitivity and spend a fair amount of time in silence and quiet, definitely in lower volume. But continuously moving, I can totally resonate with that one. And perpetual motion is something with which I have often identified That said, more recently, and if I look back, perhaps there has been this yin-yang balance in my own life of fast pace, lots of movement, activity, exercise, but countered with a fair amount of time sitting, contemplating, thinking about writing, right? We're sitting and there's movement. There's movement of mind and there's movement of hands on the page or fingers on the keyboard or with music, Right, So there, I might be seated as a cellist, but there's a lot of movement right, of the arms, of the mind, of the heart in that space. So even as I say that and try to offer the balance, while I might be still in body or still in parts of my body, there's often a lot of movement happening. 
right? Continuously moving and thinking about perpetual motion and, and that you are a Suzuki trained musician that brings up a whole melody for you. We won't sing it here, but it's already playing in your head. And then also noticing the gifts of perpetual motion of constantly continuously moving. I think about it with water. We want movement in water because stagnant water is a space where bacteria and overgrowth happen and it becomes unhealthy. Right? So there is a purpose for continuous movement and noticing when it's sustainable and beneficial and when it can be, again, exhausting. And is there room for movement to then land in a space of rest? So where can we be restless and where can we be restful? Another definition, characterized by or manifesting unrest, especially of mind. And this one brings up discontented. And that was actually one of the words I was exploring as the counterpoint here of having content and seeing how restless can be synonymous with that experience of what next, what next, not enough, not here, not now, I haven't found it, when I get there, I should, I could, I would, all of those anxious looking for, seeking, sometimes maybe desperate ways of being. And seeing that, contentment can be the flip side of that, of, oh, here, here it is. This is enough. I found it. There's nothing else I should be doing right now in this moment. And contentment, content can be the feeling that comes through. And we talk about wanting to rest the mind, quiet the mind, that the mind is restless, and there are many brilliant and seasoned teachers who will say, right, there is no quieting of the mind or complete silencing of the mind. There's just noticing that there is that chatter. There is a restless mind and letting it be. And sometimes right, the pace can slow and there might be a moment of pause. Right? There's room around it, but it also is who and how we are and accepting it, making peace with it, celebrating it even can allow it space and then not necessarily having that same urgency of seeking all the time. So see how restless shows up for you. See what happens when you simply acknowledge it, welcome it even. See what happens when you offer it a place to sit, to rest, if you can accept an invitation and what that looks and feels like. Now the counterpart, as I shared, I was thinking about content and satisfied But of course, we're this far in now. This is number seven of nine, and we're on the alliteration, so let's go with it. And this one came through pretty quickly to think about relaxed. And I was grateful that as I pulled it up and I thought, is this really in alignment? Does it match up with restless, or does it hold the counterpoint and the balance for restless? And the second definition under relax is set or being at rest or at ease. So I thought, okay, right, that works. And so let's take a moment with relaxed. And again, I don't know, three times out of the nine, I'm going to give you these previews, but it's okay, right? Because sometimes it's okay to set the stage. And if we think about relaxed, what comes up? Automatically, I get a visual of being at the beach, my space where I feel the most relaxed. So there's some sun, but there's also some shade so we can be relaxed about the exposure factor. And there's still UPF protection all the way around for my derm friends out there. And There's a gentle breeze, but not too windy, right? The water is making noise. I'm by the lake, fresh water, but with enough of a current and movement, right? The water can have its restlessness, but it doesn't feel restless, right? That perpetual motion in the water doesn't have any 
anxiety or stress to it. It simply is its purpose to continue moving. And even the days it's still, we know right underneath there is some gentle movement happening. And at the beach, there's no agenda. Now you might think there could be an agenda if you're on the swim piece. And I've thought about this. Will I engage in a daily swim challenge next year? And you know, I don't know. We're not there yet. But the more I've thought about it, the more I thought, I don't know if I need to or want to or will put a timeline on it and instead be more relaxed about it and swim if and when I want to. And I would imagine I would swim most days, if not every day. And maybe that will be a more purposeful opportunity to see how many days emerge simply because they want to, I want to, and not because it's an obligation. Knowing there always was choice, but when it's framed in a challenge, it's different. So in any case, relaxed, set or being at rest or at ease. In an osteopathic medicine, we talk a lot about ease, the direction of ease, the point of ease, what ease looks like, leaning into it, allowing it to come through, trusting the system around ease, and seeing about this with being at rest. And relaxed can feel joyful, can feel contented. Sometimes we might lean into feeling like it's telling us we're being lazy. And that comes up a lot around content. When we propose content as a way of being, we might often think that we're being resigned, right? We're just accepting what is and saying, that's all fine. I just have to take it versus saying, okay, right, this is how it is right now. There's no way else it has to be. And still, if I choose to bring something into the picture or to aspire to something, that's allowed. But from a different space of I have to find that to feel better. It's I feel good now because I'm believing that this is the right way to be for me in this moment. And again, we could look at those words that can be charged as far as right, wrong, or otherwise. But this is the space for me right now. And content can come through. And from that space, and I'd like to have more of this in my life, or I'd like to explore this with curiosity. And we could say that might be restlessness creeping in, having to look for the next thing, but notice the difference. Just like that perpetual motion of the lake doesn't have that same angst, urgency behind it. The, ooh, I'm curious to learn more, doesn't necessarily have to be restless. It can simply be curious. Relaxed freed from or lacking in precision or stringency. Now this one might raise some flags and cause some prickling. Thinking what, right? We're relaxed and we're abandoning precision or stringency. And let's look at it this way. We've talked a little bit about perfectionism in the control space. We're going to talk about that more actually tomorrow when we look at Stickler as a sneak preview of what's to come. And thinking about precision or stringency, And there are certainly spaces it's really beneficial to be quite precise and to perhaps uphold stringent barriers and boundaries and ways of being, codes of conduct. And also, there are many spaces that we do uphold precision and stringency as the necessary gold standard, and it actually isn't very helpful. It might not be sustainable, and there could be some room for a more relaxed approach, for some forgiveness, for some grace, for some broadened perspective, for some different ways of something being done that can actually create a more optimal outcome. 
And I know I'm talking to an audience that contains a number of people who might identify as type A or having type A tendencies. And that we live in a society where perfect is something that we are taught is out there and to which we should aspire. And we're beginning to pull back the curtain to say, actually, it's not available. There is no perfect. And keeping that as the gold standard when it's not actually accessible is what leads to a significant degree of distress and frustration and burnout. And how can we take a more relaxed approach, not abandoning excellence? Excellence and perfection are not the same thing. And how can we embrace precision in a sustainable way? And we think about the practice of medicine, and let's go, we often look to the surgical space. We want to be precise and to be accurate and to be knowledgeable. And right to have a relaxed approach can sound really dangerous. Right? I don't want my physician to be relaxed. I like him to have a little bit of an edge, even a touch of anxiety in there, but not so much that it's paralyzing. Right? So we look for those perhaps helpful, sometimes unreasonable balance points. What if we could say, right, bringing confidence into that space and contentment and knowledge and experience and dedication to excellence and willingness to learn and adapt, those can be key pieces. In thinking about adaptability and flexibility, next to fragility or brittleness, that's what I think about. And what if relaxed is giving some of that pliability, some of that plasticity to an experience, to a way of being, so that we can flex and bend and we can bounce back and we can take feedback and we can notice new things in a situation and we can have an outcome that might not be expected and be able to troubleshoot and move around it. So I would offer that precision and stringency, yes, to the point that it allows still for some flexibility and adaptability and that we aren't broken or derailed when something doesn't quite go to plan. And I would argue that the best physicians are those that do hold those in balance. Excellence and precision and knowledgeability, right? a dedication to providing optimal care and an awareness that there are factors beyond our control and a willingness to be faced with an unexpected or an unknown situation and to recognize that you might not specifically have the answer yourself, but that you're willing to search for it, to ask for help, to find it, or to find the best solution you can in the moment. Maybe it hasn't been created yet. You're willing to explore and combine all those pieces because you have some relaxation in the sense around exactly how it's meant to go. Because if we stay in what I would suggest is a blindered space, of this is how it goes, these are the five steps, this is what we're expecting. It's good to know what to expect, so when you don't see it, you know it's out of the ordinary, and you can begin to go into the archives of how have I been able to fix this before, or into that future planning space of, well, I've never seen this. But knowing what I know about all the adjacent structures and ways this has gone in the past, what can I surmise? What can I create? What can I synthesize now to allow this to move forward? And for 100% stringent, we may not be able to go there. But if we bring elements of our precision and stringency into that space alongside some sense of relaxedness, even just if it is around our own way of being and getting it exactly right, 
versus right being able to go in and say, this is what I have to offer and I'm willing to see what transpires and I trust myself to navigate this situation. That requires us to have a little margin, to have a little space, to have a little leeway for ourselves. Relaxed also comes up as easy of manner and informal. Now I'll share with you, we're planning to visit my husband's family in the UK in March, if all things are allowed at that time, as far as travel is concerned. And the other day at dinner, we were having some different demonstrations of table manners. I'll just put it that way. And so we brought up, you know, we're going to this place and table manners are more stringent, right? We have that coming up and there's certain ways of being and we seem to have lost the thread. We have gotten quite informal. We could say quite relaxed here and that could be the relaxed that we might be a little afraid of, right? Oftentimes when we're judging something, it's out of fear, fear for how we're going to be perceived and what that's going to mean and how people are going to judge us. And it's really us judging ourselves, right? At that base level. And so while it can be nice, to be relaxed around some of our expectations. Sometimes we might want a little more formality in our lives, sitting up, using a fork and knife, not doing certain things at the dinner table. We'll leave them unnamed here for now. And so just seeing, right, relaxed can be really helpful and welcoming and releasing of pressure. And it can also, taken too far, mean that we've lost a sense of, we'll say appropriateness, right? And we could look at social acceptance and, mannerisms, and we could see some of the problematic ways we have categorized and marginalized using those concepts. We can also see baseline levels of respect and dignity in the ways that we engage with one another and create safe spaces for each other and create welcoming spaces. And so just seeing when relaxed taken too far can become neglectful. And that's oftentimes what we're seeking to avoid. So just noticing, like we've talked throughout the spectrum turning the dial, not flipping the switch and saying, oh, right, we've had a little too much here and we've had a little too much salt or a little too much sweetener and we need to balance it back. So let's put in some acid and we can bring it back to a more reasonable, well-rounded palate. And the final definition here under relaxed is somewhat loose-fitting and usually casual in style. Now this one, we might think, are we really gonna take this anywhere? And we're just thinking about jeans, right? Relaxed fit jeans, And we could talk for a whole episode about the evolution of jeans and how it comes back around. And most recently, what this makes me think of is my favorite pair of Mossimo jeans from high school. And man, if we could just still have those, because 20 years later, right, they all come back in style or 20 some plus years later. And seeing what it feels like to wear something that is a relaxed fit. And maybe this happens for you, right? The end of the day, and you might be wearing a uniform or you might be wearing pantyhose, or something that is relevant to your day out in the world. It has shifted in the time of the pandemic. I think about my daughter's attire, and it's mostly leggings for ease of use and freedom of movement, but to be able to come home, right, and then to put on a relaxed fit of clothing, it gives some margin, right? There's some freedom of movement in there, and you're welcoming yourself to just be in a space. So perhaps looking at those dinner table dinner table manners examples and seeing where we could maybe put in a little bit dose of less relaxed, a little more formal. I wouldn't say less ease, but just a tiny bit more, like a smidge, a dash of the stringency in that space. And then there's spaces when we welcome ourselves to have a more relaxed fit and to say it's okay to be you, 
to let go. Not that you're not you everywhere you are, but to be in that relaxed space and rest, right? When we're in that relaxed space, it's more natural to settle in to resting. And as we toggle between these two, restless and relaxed, right? And we can see the extreme, the constant movement, high energy, high angst at the far end of restless. And then we could look at that slow moving, sluggish, sloth-like, relaxed. And both of those can have a space. I guess I see sloth and I see the bee, which I can totally love and resonate, right? Beaky with the bee. And see also that the bee does rest and refuel. So it can be perpetually moving when it's in that active space of its work. And then it can rest and refuel itself. There's room for both. And that relaxed sloth will take up right, and move when it needs to. And it's made its space and its way of being with the world around it in its way of being relaxed. So we can find ourselves in each of these. We can find components of ourselves in them. We can see one another. We can begin to gain understanding of how someone else might be operating. And perhaps we can give ourselves and each other grace if we are showing up in these ways. And just like that story I share with you from that early Christmas, perhaps we can offer each other the benefit of the doubt and assume that they're doing their best and that sometimes restless can really be exuberance on display and relaxed can be ease manifesting itself. And we can notice if we are taking any of these to the extreme and we do sense strain or difficulty in our relationships particularly, that we could tune in and say, oh, right, this is that restless behavior showing up. And perhaps I can say, it's okay, right? Here we are and where we are is enough. And we can pick this up at another time or not. There's freedom in that. And we can see when we're perhaps not engaging, we're in a disengaged, relaxed space. We can say, oh, I can be content and have ease and perhaps add a little more here and show up in a more engaged way. All of that is available to us. And what a beautiful gift we have to explore these ways of being. If you'd like to delve deeper, as I shared, join the Sociopathic Life, get the newsletter, and we'll be opening up some opportunities for group coaching because as with my pod, it's in the collective and in the sharing and hearing others' experiences, both those who are similar to yours and those who might be unique and distinct. We gain that awareness, build that sense of connection and oneness of humanity, which is what it's really all about. This is Dr. Millie Beeky with This Osteopathic Life. Thank you for listening.